The following is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment. And welcome. We're back. Disability Law Show. Good to have you along for the ride. Martin Willems is your guy. Sam Firu to Mark and LLP. Always here to provide the information for you and reach out if you want to on your own time. To get a hold of Martin and his uh, and his team, the phone call, you probably know the number by now, but I'm going to repeat it throughout the hour, one 821 5900 email help at disabilityrights.ca. And for more information, you can always go to ltdfaq.ca. Again, ltdfaq.ca. Lots to get through. Uh, emails are stacking up again this week, Martin, but I know you want to start off with a week that was something you want to kick off the show with. Pal, what do you got this week? Yes, thanks, John, and thanks to everybody listening. Uh, we have an interesting one today. So this is something that was resolved recently. It was someone who contacted me who has been diagnosed or was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis years ago and carried on working, which is commendable. Uh, she continued to have difficulties but carried on working in the industry in which she was employed which was a high cognitive demanding job. So the way that this was going for her is she would be working to the best of her ability. And when she would get home and over the weekends, she felt that she would crash, she would rest. Mm -hmm. So she went above and beyond, basically sacrificing her home life in order to remain able to carry on working. And she carried on doing that for a number of years. And at some point, the condition worsened. Like she has a relapsing remitting multiple sclerosis, so it's not a progressive type, but over time it may develop, you may develop more symptoms, which is what happened here. Um, she had a neurologist who she saw on a regular basis. She saw her family physician on a regular basis, also saw a counselor as things were progressing her mental health also became compromised, which in turn also affected her ability to focus, to concentrate, and to multitask, which was a key component in her occupation. Also to comprehend information, to manage timelines, which is you know a difficult thing to do when you're struggling with your mental health. Mm-hmm. But on top of that, the fatigue aspect also worsened, and that was the biggest issue here. Um, this lady really, I, I was, it's commendable how long she carried on for how she, hard she pushed herself. But when it came to the point where things got worse, she no longer could manage it. And her doctors, both of them, told her, you need to stop working now. You just cannot carry on this way. Because she was concerned that she was going to make mistakes at work. And in fact, had made one or two, which luckily were caught by others. But it all came down to being overly tired having difficulties with focus and concentration, and having the MS worsen. So when the claim was submitted to the insurance company, the insurance company said, well, because you've been working with this condition for the past how many years since your diagnosis, we're not going to approve this claim because by doing so, you've proven that you're actually capable of working. And, of course, this was not the situation. This was not accurate because, as I stated the condition, the symptoms, the restrictions, and the limitations had worsened over time. You know, you get people who go off work when they've got a diagnosis because they feel that they cannot carry on. Um, Then you have somebody like this who probably should have stopped working earlier but didn't and pushed herself. And now, very, very disappointingly, the insurance company was using 
those very, very commendable efforts on her part to deny a claim by saying, well, you've shown that you can do this. Not taking into consideration that her condition had worsened, that she had the support of her neurologist, that she had the support of the family physician, that she should stop working because they were actually concerned about not just her physical health, but also her mental health if she carried on working. And she also realized that to do the responsible thing, she had to stop working because she didn't want to make mistakes in her work, which could cost her clients money. So she did what she thought she was the right thing to do, did what her doctors told her to do. We got involved because, as I say, she contacted me and said, well, this is what's happening. And got involved with the insurance company, had discussions with the insurance company. So they were keen on getting um, the claim approved. So we got further medical information through our involvement in the claim. And ultimately, very soon thereafter, um, the claim was approved immediately and with the retroactive payments to the date when the lady should have been paid work benefits from the time that she stopped working. And on top of that, this was a weekly indemnity benefits claim. She applied for the long term and that was immediately approved as well without any denial, without any need to appeal. So this was a feel-good scenario because what this lady wanted was simply to have a benefit reinstated were instated um, and she got that and it was as i say a feel-good outcome considering the difficulties that she had and i just know and this is more of a general statement mm. when we represent clients i've spoken about this before and when people phone us with their denied disability claims consider what this lady was going through she had a condition that was creating problems for her it was creating difficulties for her, but she did the thing that she thought was necessary. She pushed herself to carry on working. Yeah. But when she couldn't, it was because her condition worsened. So she had stress, she had anxiety, didn't feel good about the fact that she had to stop working, but was believing that the insurance company was going to pay her benefits because ultimately she had a objectively diagnosed condition. There was objective evidence to show that she had a worsening of her condition and that there were new lesions, which is remarkable that the insurance company denied this claim. But this is what happens regularly. So when I speak about these things in the context of people contacting us, what I hear all the time, and which is completely understandable, is people struggling with their health, not being able to work, having anxiety. I mean, of course, it's going to be anxiety inducing. And sometimes they have a mental health illness as well, which just aggravates everything. Then being told that we don't believe what you're saying. We don't believe that you are disabled. You may have symptoms, but we're not expect we're not accepting that those symptoms are disabling, which is such a shock to basically everybody that I speak with that the insurance company is disregarding, ignoring, and discounting what this what the people are saying to the insurer that they cannot work, and more importantly, discounting what their doctors are saying, completely ignoring it, simply relying on sometimes their own internal medical experts who haven't even had a chance to meet, speak with, or even examine the person, yet deciding that they can deny the claim. So when we speak to these people, they're in a very, very bad position. They're in dire straits. They don't know how to proceed. So in this case, again, it was a feel-good outcome because this lady got what she wanted in a very timely fashion. But it doesn't happen for everybody. Sometimes people get engaged in appeals when they don't know what 
that means. They don't understand that they can have somebody assist them with the claim itself by pursuing a legal claim where all communications go through us. You don't have to deal with the insurance company. You don't have to speak to the case managers. You don't have to plead your position with them. You don't have to beg that they instate your claim. We take all that and the communications go through us. Of course, it doesn't work for every single client. It doesn't work for every single person that they may want to go down this road. But the most important thing for anyone listening is if your claim is denied, reach out to us. Have a discussion as to what that means, what your options are, because we offer free consultations to review the policy, review the denial letter, consider your personal circumstances, potentially looking at the medical records as well. And then most importantly, give you a discussion or offer you a discussion as about what your options are. How can you manage this? How can you navigate this to now? What options are available to you? Which one makes sense to you? And then if we get retained, all communications go through us while well, you can focus on your treatment and hopefully getting better without having the stress of having to deal with the insurance. So again, if you've got a claim that is denied, reach out to us. We offer consultations on a free basis. We've got lawyers in BC, Alberta, Ontario, and we offer mm -hmm. free consultations to people all over Canada, other than in Quebec and the territories. Let me ask you, I mean, obviously, you're not, I'm not asking you this from a doctor's standpoint, obviously, from your own standpoint, what you do, but, you know, this is a case of someone who wants to try to be, a, you know, a hero and keep plugging away and going to work and just, you know, affected them badly. And then, I mean, does that, does that reflect badly with the insurance company? I mean, you know, this, this person's trying to do the best they can for years, carry on fatigue. I got to keep mucking away. Got to be a, you know, a good soldier in the workplace. I mean, what's your advice as far as that's concerned, right? You know, when I see, and this is not the first time that I've seen this happen, yeah, uh, it won't be the last time. These are the cases which really, I mean, it, it, it infuriates me to see that's, Somebody does what the insurance companies always say. So when we pursue a legal claim, they say, well, you have to mitigate. You have to take steps to get better, to re-enter the, re the workforce. Um, there's case law, I suppose, out there that say people have to work through pain on a reasonable basis. So when you have somebody like this who really, really struggled but carried on working, it's almost damned if you do and damned if you don't. Mm -hmm. Because in this instance... This claim should have been approved. There shouldn't have been a denial. She shouldn't have had to have me involved and argue the claim for her and get her claim instated. That should never have happened. She shouldn't have had that added stress. So uh, to, to add to the question that you just spoke about, sometimes you have situations where somebody, again, with a remarkable work ethic, continues to work with a diagnosis that could potentially be disabling. Mean, sometimes it is disabling, but they push themselves because they're scared, and I fully understand why. The income that you're receiving from long-term disability or short-term disability isn't your actual income. It's a say, percentage of what you were receiving. And for some people, it just isn't enough to continue. Consider the economic climate that we live in, right? Every cent matters. So for many people, they would try and carry on pushing themselves. Maybe they'll start to reduce their work hours, but still carry on not submitting a claim. I've seen situations where people have done that, where they've reduced their hours, reduced their hours further, and then carry on working on that reduced basis. And then at a point, they find that the condition has become so bad that they really simply cannot carry on. Then they submit a claim, and what happens? The insurance company turns around and says, 
you don't work enough hours. You've lost your coverage to be entitled to hours, to coverage. So, for example, policies may say that you have to work a minimum of 20 hours per week in order to have long-term disability coverage. So if you go down to 15 or 18 hours, you've lost that coverage. And when it comes to the point that you can no longer do it, they may say, well, sorry, you didn't have coverage. Um, so there's no claim for you to pursue here. Which is, you're asking me, what should people do? I always say to everybody who I speak with, follow your doctor's advice. Yeah. Be in touch with your doctor on a very regular basis. Report to your doctor what your restrictions and limitations are. If you're struggling, please listen to your doctor. If your doctor is suggesting that you take time off work, consider that right. as reasonable advice. Because if that's the case, you should probably do this. Because you may look, you may find yourself in a position like this lady did, or even worse, you may find that you don't have coverage. With that, we'll get into a short break, guys. Get in your emails after the on the other side. Rather, you want to send one along anytime, even if it doesn't appear on this show today. Tonight, you'll want to uh, send it along. It'll appear on a future show. That is help at disabilityrights.ca. Phone number to reach Martin and the crew, one 821 5900 This is the Disability Law Show. Stand by. We're coming right back. You're listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment. And welcome back to the Disability Law Show. Martin Willems is your guy. He's the pro. He's the lawyer. He's got the knowledge. And here's the contact information to reach out to Martin going forward. You can, of course, have a, a conversation on your own time privately with Martin or a member of his team. They're always telling you, don't hesitate to call. It's a, it's a free phone call just to get some information. Maybe you need it, maybe you don't. But uh, when you pick up a phone, you'll find out that uh, quickly enough. one 821 5900 help at disabilityrights.ca, the email. First one, Martin, love the show. Got a question for you. I've been dealing with depression, which has significantly impacted my ability to work and function on a daily basis. I believe it's necessary for me to apply for long-term disability benefits. I am seeking your assistance in navigating the process of applying for long-term disability. I guess that could be a daunting task, Martin. What do you think? This is a good question. You know what? I think we, I addressed mental health cases about two weeks ago um, and how to navigate that. So this is a good question. By all means, go listen to some of the previous shows as well. But let me deal with that. When you have a mental health illness, considering that mental health illness is the main driver for disability in this country, this is not something that would be an unfamiliar concept to the insurance company. But how do you make sure that you've got the best chance of getting your claim approved? As I said with the pre in the previous segment, it all starts with your relationship with your family doctor or your psychiatrist, whomever you're seeing for your treatment. If you are dealing with depression, which has significantly impacted your ability to function and work on a daily basis, and you think it's necessary to apply for disability benefits, Make sure that you see your doctor on a regular basis. Insurance companies view mental health cases as what is described as invisible or subjective conditions, specifically because you cannot see these conditions on imaging. For example, you cannot see it on an MRI or a CT scan or an X-ray. They often would say, we're considering this, we understand that you may have some symptoms, but the restrictions and limitations that you are describing are all based on your self-report. So how do we believe that this is disabling? Which I understand 
can be very, very insulting to somebody who's living with a mental health illness, who's claiming that they cannot work, and who has the support of their doctor. So if you are planning on applying for LTD, or, or possibly short-term first, you're going to see your doctor on a regular basis. You're going to have a discussion with your doctor as to what your symptoms are. If you report to the insurance company, or if your doctor submits a claim to the insurance company and say, my patient has depression, therefore they cannot work, as I've said 100 times, that claim is going to be denied. You have to detail what the restrictions and limitations are and put into context why it is that you cannot perform the duties of your occupation. What does that mean? When you have a discussion with your doctor, you're going to describe to your doctor what is going on with you. Why are you feeling that you can no longer work? It's not, I have depression, I cannot work. It is, I have depression, and these are the things that have happened as a result of my depression. Diagnosis is important. Functional impairment is the most important thing when you consider a filing a disability claim. What are the restrictions and limitations? I'll use an example. If you work at a bank, where you have to deal with customers who may become irate, you have to focus, you have to be able to multitask, you have to be able to concentrate. Consider how your depression may impact your ability to perform those duties. In other words, if the depression, as you oversleep or you have a lack of sleep, you have low energy, fatigue, poor motivation, you have a difficulty to focus, to concentrate, you've got poor memory, you socially isolate, you don't want to deal with people, you cannot handle any deadlines, you cannot multitask, you cannot comprehend new information, you're making mistakes at home, you're possibly making mistakes at work, um, you're avoiding people, as I said, you're socially isolating, you don't want to leave the house. These are the things that you want to report to your doctor because when you see your doctor, your doctor is going to record, hopefully, in the clinical records, what your restrictions and limitations are, what your symptoms are, what it is that you're telling him. But your doctor will also be making independent observations, objective observations as to what the doctor is seeing in front of him or her. It may be that you speak with a flat, flat affect. You may be tearful. Um, there may be suicidal thoughts, etc. All of these things hopefully will be recorded in the doctor's records so that when the claim is submitted to the insurance company and the doctor completes what is called an attending physician statement, the doctor is going to record what these restrictions and limitations are in that statement other than just saying you've got depression. Speak about why it is that you are unable to work. Speak about the doctor's objective observations. If you are seeing a psychiatrist, Consider getting the records, consider getting a consult report from the psychiatrist to be sent together with the attending physician statement when you submit the claim. If you are seeing a counselor or a therapist or a psychologist, maybe get a letter from that person as well to explain what the restrictions and limitations are and why it is that those restrictions and limitations would impact your ability to perform the duties of your occupation. Also, if you have been taking medication and it's not working have a discussion with your doctor whether you should be taking other medications or try something new or potentially increase the dosage if you're doing counseling good if you're not doing counseling consider with with your doctor whether that is necessary if you haven't been referred to a psychiatrist yet and your condition has been long-standing without any improvement or it's worsening potentially have a, a discussion with your doctor 
whether it's a good idea to refer you to a psychiatrist because we know there are very long wait lists for these, right? So if your doctor thinks it's necessary and you cannot get in to see somebody now, at least be put on a wait list so that when you submit this claim, the insurance company can see that you are following through with your doctor, seeing the doctor on a regular basis, following through with appropriate treatment and exploring other treatments if the current treatment is not working. If you do all those things, hopefully your claim is approved. But if it is not, which we hope, of course, that it would be, but if it is not, again, reach out to us. Because if you've done all those things, you, your claim really should be approved. And if it isn't, we can assist you by filing a legal claim. And again, you got the email. Obviously, appreciate that. And the phone number going forward, one 821 5900. Okay, Martin, let's roll down to the next one. Guys, I'm I'm on approved LTD for mental health through a unionized workplace that has group benefits. On my periodic follow-up in October, I was asked to fill out CPP disability forms to Service Canada, and I've submitted the forms. He also mentioned that in the future, before my two years timeline comes in October 2024, they might ask to go to their independent medical doctor. What should I do if, in the case, they ask me to see their independent doctor? What are my choices after the two-year mark if my mental health does not improve? What do you think, pal? Interesting question. So what this person is referring to is when they say two years will be over come October 2024, what they're referring to is the own occupation period will have ended come October 2024, which then means that once the two years or up, the definition for total disability changes. Then they have to prove that they cannot perform the duties of any other occupation based on their transferable skill sets. In other words, education, training, experience that could potentially allow them to perform the duties of another occupation for which they have the transferable skills. And that would pay them roughly the same as their LTD benefit. And of course, that they would be medically, functionally able to perform. So it's a difficult question to answer at this point because we're in January. The change of definition would be in October, so it's nine months away. Things can change. There could be an improvement, but there could also be a worsening, or things could just be the same that they are now. So it really is, like with the previous question, be sure that during this timeline you continue to see your doctor regularly because your doctor may be requested to provide information closer to that October timeline. And they're going to be looking at, did you report improvement? Did you report that you have better days, etc.? They're going to be looking at those clinical records to see, are you being appropriately treated? Is there any indication that they could say you, you're not following through with recommended treatment or that the, appropriate, the treatment is not appropriate or that there has been some indication that there's been an improvement? So these are the things that the insurance company will be looking at. And as you say, they may send you for an independent medical examination. The question is, what should you do in that case? Now, mm-hmm. we're dealing with a policy. The policy is a contract. The contract allows the insurance company to have you assessed through an independent medical examination. Most group policies do allow that. I haven't seen one that doesn't. But if that does happen, you likely will have to attend that appointment because if you don't, the insurance company will say that you are breaching the terms of the policy unless... I don't think it would be appropriate in this condition or applicable, but unless there is some risk that it could increase your your condition or worsen your condition, that it may be a risk for you to attend such a thing. But I don't think it would be appropriate or applicable in this case. Now, if that were to happen, that they send you 
for an independent medical examination. Make sure that you just tell the truth, that you be honest, um, and make sure that the doctor understands what your restrictions and your limitations are. If the insurance company denies your claim based on the findings of that independent medical examination by that doctor, which I would assume would be a psychiatrist, I'm hoping that you are also seeing a psychiatrist. If you're not, maybe have your doctor refer you to a psychiatrist, considering that this timeline is nine months away. So that when, if the claim is denied, you want to make sure that you get a copy of that independent medical examination report. The insurance company may say, we're not going to send it to you, but they should send it to your doctor. And then have your doctor look at it and consider whether what that doctor is saying, if there is a denial, is appropriate. And of course, if the claim is denied, then you reach out to us. The question also is, what are my choices after the two-year mark if my mental health does not improve? It's not really a choice. The insurance company, remember, is going to examine and assess whether you continue to be disabled from performing the duties of your own occupation and then any occupation at that time. So if you're able to go to back to work to your own occupation or another occupation, the claim is likely not going to continue. But if you're not, and if they do deny the claim, please reach out to us and we can discuss your options. Lots of time to reach out still as we uh, take a short break here. I want to make sure you got the email address going forward for any time, not just for this hour of the show. And it is help at disabilityrights.ca. Phone number is one 821 5900 And we've mentioned this before. There's a website called mydisabilityquestions.com. That's a beauty because it's searchable. So if you've uh, got a question in mind, maybe it's been asked before, it'll save you some time. If not, leave it there and it will get answered. Mydisabilityquestions.com. Lots more on the way. Short break. As we continue with the Disability Law Show. You're listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment. And welcome back. Disability Law Show. Lots more time. A few more emails to go. How about that? Next one up is this, Martin. Before that, I'll give you the phone number, too, to reach out to Martin and his team, one 821 5900 And the email we always use consistently every week, help at disabilityrights.ca. Martin, I've been on long-term disability for over 20 years. I have private disability insurance uh, purchased in 1994. My question is, why are the insurance companies keep sending me forms for me and my doctor to give them updates on my condition? I have MS, and it's not going to get any better. These forms stress me out every time they arrive in the mail. Don't they get it? There is no hope for anything. I really wish they'd stop. Thanks for your impartial input. Yeah, that seems a little extreme. 20 years, like they, they should get it by now, right? It, it is a long time, and considering the condition, which is multiple sclerosis, right? The, the, they accepted that this person couldn't work 20 years ago, and it is a condition that's not going to go away, right? We know that. It is a progressive condition or has the potential of being progressive. And after 20 years, really, you're going to continue doing it this way? I would say consider contacting the insurance company because there are programs, I believe, that they could put you in on a permanent disability program where maybe once a year they could send you a form for an update to be completed by your doctor. Um, The counterpoint to that, unfortunately, is that this is a policy. And the policy, as I said before, is a contract. And in order to be entitled to receive benefits, you have a duty to continue to prove ongoing entitlement under the policy. In other words, you have to continue to prove or provide evidence that you remain unable to work. But I would think that rational minds here should prevail, that we should be realistic 
about what's going on here. 20 years is a long time. The condition hasn't improved clearly. So maybe have a discussion with the case manager or even their manager as to whether it wouldn't be appropriate, would it not be appropriate to place you on a different program where these ongoing requests for information would be reduced to maybe once a year right. and where they could reach out to the doctor themselves. Maybe just have the doctor complete a form once a year and see where that goes. Because again, you can also tell them that this ongoing requests, it would be stressing you, you out, maybe potentially increasing the symptoms of your condition, which really isn't helping. So other than that, unfortunately, there's not much that I can say, but I would hope that they would listen to you and that they would reduce the frequency, at least, of the requests. All right, moving now. Another email. Here we go. Loving these. Appreciate it, by the way, for sending these in ahead of time. Uh, Martin, I've been on LTD for five years. This year, they approved my claim until 65. What are my obligations? Do I need to continue the rehab treatments and attempts to take courses, etc., to show I'm still trying to return to work? Or can I just focus on treatments that are helping with my issues and focus on trying to live my best life? What do you think, Paul? Well, okay. So, approved for five years on long-term disability. Um, and then it says, this year, they approved my claim until I'm 65. So considering the previous question, right, I don't know what age this person is, but right. this may be that they've put them on some permanent disability thing where they're going to say, okay, we're only going to look at this once a year or so. But what are your obligations? Unfortunately, I have seen situations where a person, people have been on claim for 10 years. I, one of them comes to mind now, which has been 18 years. Wow. The insurance so. company at their end had a, a revolving door of case managers and a very overzealous case manager got involved, looked at the claim, came up with all types of reasons to consider why could we not deny this person and ultimately denied them based on potentially some uh, treatment that they thought would be appropriate considering that the person wasn't improving. And there was a reason they weren't improving because their condition was such that they couldn't improve. Right. Now, here it is. Do I need to continue rehab treatments and attempts to take courses, etc.? I think what you need to do is have a discussion with your doctor again. Do what is reasonable. Is the insurance company pushing you to take courses? If you're unable to do so, then don't. I don't think it's necessary if you've taken all reasonable steps. and If it is true that they've approved your claim to the age of 65, your obligation under the policy is that you have to continue with appropriate treatment. Or your condition. If the insurance company insti instituted or created some form of a rehab program, because you're speaking about rehab treatments, if it is a rehab program with the focus on getting you back to work because there's some indication that there's the potential for improvement, then that's a different discussion. Then yes, you have to follow through with what is appropriate if your doctor signs off on it and if there is no risk that this condition may worsen if you participate in such a program. But when you say, can I just focus on my treatments that are helping with my issues, by all means, carry on doing that. Um, I would think, again, as with most of these questions, have a very regular visit relationship with your doctor, where the doctor is informed, because if the insurance company at some point may reach out to the doctor and say, we think this is appropriate, then your doctor is in an informed position to say, well, no, and these are the reasons why. So for this one, I think I would want a little bit more information as to what exactly are we speaking about, what rehab treatments, and what 
courses are you taking or do they say you should be taking or do you just believe that you should be taking because they're expecting it if they're not actually saying that you should. So let's contact us so we can have a better understanding as to what the actual circumstances are. And again, like to anybody listening, if you have similar circumstances, if you have questions where the insurance company might be paying you, but you're potentially thinking that there may be a potential denial coming your way, have a look at what is being said. Contact us. Let us look at the communications, the written communications, and potentially what they said to you over the phone. And we can try and guide you as best as possible how to navigate the process further if it looks like there's a denial coming. And that number, uh, as we get into a short break here, thanks for reaching out, by the way, through all these emails. That is 1-855-821-5900. Email we use is help at disabilityrights.ca. And for more easy-to-digest, concise questions and answers about LTD, many different topics, that is ltdfaq.ca, ltdfaq.ca. And more of the Disability Law Show is just ahead. Stay with us. You're listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment. And welcome back to the Disability Law Show. We're down at the uh, tail end of the show. A few more emails here. And uh, again, if it doesn't appear this week, it might appear on a future show, but continue to send them along to us. Martin, always receptive, and he's got a great team going through them as well. That's help at disabilityrights.ca. Phone number 1-855-821-5900. Next email like this, Martin, says, I have low vision and have had it my whole life. My case manager is asking me to arrange a callback. I've been on LTD for three months due to cancer. I suspect they want me to return immediately. The cancer has been diagnosed between stage three and four. I went through chemo. Right now, there is no cancer on the test. The issue is uh, the issue being is that my open surgery touched on five different organ areas. I need to still heal on the inside of the surgical area. Uh, learning to eat in small amounts frequently during the day, vitamin loss, peripheral neuropathy, vision and hearing impairment, dizziness, and brain fog, just to name a few. I'm not ready to go back. Uh, I understood that the employer should not be reaching out to employees directly on LTD. Also, I'm very sure that the phone conversation will be recorded when I eventually speak to them. I want to be armed with information before the conversation. What should I do? Okay, so this is an interesting question. I'm not sure if the question relates to the the insurance company contacting the person or whether it actually is the employer. Yeah. If it is the employer, the employer, I will, let me rephrase that. We have a team of employment lawyers assisting at our firm, people with denied, well, wrongful denied employment or terminations, etc. where luckily you can contact one of them and have a discussion as to what your rights would be with respect to a pressure from the employer to return to work, right? Especially if the person is still on long-term disability and what the, what the employer can and cannot do. Uh, my understanding is that the employer is entitled to some information, but not the diagnosis, etc. So please contact our firm if this is pressure from the employer to have a discussion as to what your rights are. If it is the insurance company that is pushing you to return to work, which I don't think it is, but if it were to be listening or understanding what you are dealing with, considering the peripheral neuropathy, the brain fog, etc., after having cancer and going through chemotherapy, we see lots of cases where a person was diagnosed with cancer, 
they went through the treatment and then may turn out to be cancer-free at some point. However, it's not as simple as that then to say, well, the person no longer has cancer, they can now return to work. As you know, as I think as most everybody knows, uh, the treatment can be extremely invasive. The treatment can be extremely disabling by itself. Uh, lots of people have neuropathy, peripheral neuropathy afterwards. Um, there's chemo brain, where people have difficulty with focus, concentration, the brain fog, extreme fatigue, etc. So these are things that should be looked at as well. And again, you may have um, insurance companies say, well, all of that is subjective. You're, you're reporting these things, but it's subjective. So what? If that is the case, and it is disabling, and if your doctor supports you that you cannot return to work, that is what is important. If your doctor thinks you cannot re return to work because you have these conditions and the insurance company is pushing you to return to work, reach out to us. They should not be doing that. They should be respecting that position. But doesn't always happen. Cases do get denied on basis of what I've just said. And we can assist if that were to happen. So if your claim is denied, please reach out to us. And again, appreciate the email, one 821 5900 Do not hesitate to use that number, and thank you for the uh, email. Next one says, Martin, I've been uh, denied LTD benefits as the insurer says my disability is related to a pre-existing condition. I've been covered under the policy for eight months, and the insurer is saying because I have not covered, uh, I've been covered for one year, that it can investigate whether my claim is related to a pre-existing condition. However... I was also covered under a previous policy with my employer, and I understand that there would be no break in my coverage when the employer switched from the old insurer to the new one. Am I correct to think that the denial is wrong, as my coverage under the old policy should count for something? This is an interesting situation, and we cannot go through one show without a pre-existing condition question. So <laughs> here we go. Pre-existing conditions under policies, what, is, what does that mean? Remember, this is a contractual definition. It's not pre-existing condition as we understand it in everyday terms. The insurance company under the long-term disability policy will investigate whether you have gone off work within the first year of having coverage. If so, they will investigate very likely whether your disability is directly or indirectly related to a pre-existing condition, which would be something for which you had treatment, medical care during the fine period of time. If so, they may deny the claim. If not, they should approve it. If denied, reach out to us again because I've seen many cases where the insurance company says it's pre-existing and we disagree and there is an arguable position as to why it is not. But that's not what this question is about. No. This question is, if you had coverage under a previous policy and your employer now contracted with a new group insurer and there was no break, in other words, they terminated the previous policy and a new insurance company took over. What generally should happen, my understanding on this, is that all the previous claims should be, all previous covered employees should be grandfathered into the new one. And it should not be deemed that you have now new coverage that starts anew for the purposes of a pre-existing condition. I actually have seen a case like this where the insurance company did try to do this and then realized that they made a mistake. So... If that is what is happening here, if you do ha have coverage under the new policy and that follows no break from a previous policy for which you had coverage for more than a year, then there shouldn't be a pre-existing condition denial. And if that is their position, again, 
I'm sure this is something that we could look at, but I would suggest let's have a look at what coverage was in place. What is the pre-existing condition exclusion language in this new policy? What is the language with respect to one policy replacing another, whether they everything is grandfathered in, which it should mm -hmm. be. And once we have all that information, we can advise you as to what your options are, because I firmly believe that you will have options. We got a couple minutes to go. Uh, let's see if we can get, uh, get this one down really quickly. Martin says, guys, I'm a 59 years old and sure has approved my LTD till I'm 65. CPP, however, uh, CPP disability denied my application. Now, can the insurance now cancel my LTD based on CPP's decision? Hmm. Okay, so the insurance company, the, the short and blunt answer to this, the insurance company can do anything. <laughs> uh, because I, I, I've seen cases where they just, obviously they, they, they can deny because your, your obligation is to continue to prove ongoing entitlement to benefits on a monthly basis. Um, if they have approved LTD till the age of 65 and you're 59 years old, that means they've approved it for the next six years. Um, I'm not sure whether that actually would be accurate. We would want to see the actual wording, whether that is what this means. With CPP being denied, consider appealing that denial, right? You can tell them, look, my claim has been, not my disability claim has been approved, but my claim with CPP has been denied. You likely will have 90 days within which you can appeal or request a reconsideration. And if you do, make sure that you get the best medical evidence that you can from your doctors to explain why your condition is severe, prolonged, to the extent that you cannot work in any gainful occupation, and that there may, no, may not be any other treatment available to you. Because the insurance company will also be motivated to have you appeal that decision, and hopefully if it is approved, they won't look at this claim in the context of maybe trying to deny it. Yeah. But if they were to deny it based on the CPP denial, please reach out to us. I have actually seen cases, even this week I was working on one, where the insurance company denied the claim right after CPP disability was approved. So the reverse also happens, right? They're going to be looking at this. Is there any evidence to support that the person could go back to work? And if so, you likely will be facing a denial, which as with everything, if that happens, Contact us, and we can discuss your options with you. And we are done for the uh, for the show. Reach out now to uh, to Martin. And going forward, one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred. Help at disabilityrights.ca for email as well. And we'll catch you next time here on the Disability Law Show. The preceding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment.